0: Now, back into the show.
1: Yeah, so look, running this gaming advertising platform meant that my entire net worth was concentrated in one single startup it was wild because some days we really did think, you know, it's going to be huge. And other days we thought we were going to go bankrupt and we were going to be sued for whatever you could think of out there, you know, data privacy valuations, Apple or Google are going to come in and crush you or Facebook's going to crush you. Um, And so I remember when I was running Bungle, I was seeing other people in real estate and I'm like, wait, for years I didn't take a salary and these guys. They're getting like these rent incomes. The assets are appreciating. They're using leverage. They're doing 1031 exchanges, which is a great thing that the US offers. They're getting depreciation write-offs. I want a piece of this.
0: massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, So can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goossens you can find the show wherever you podcast on itunes soundcloud stitcher and google play but you can also find these episodes up on my youtube channel so head over to reedgoosens.com click on the video link and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week all right enough out of me let's get cracking and into today's show the show, I've the pleasure of chatting with Zane Jaffa. Now, Zane is a lifelong entrepreneur who first founded his very first startup back when he was just a teenager. He's gone on to co-found a mobile advertisement company called Vungle, which was acquired by Blackstone in 2018 for over 780 million dollars. Shortly thereafter, he started Zane Ventures, his family office that boasts a diversified portfolio of both real estate investments and prop tech startups, and he's also the partner of Bluefield Capital. I'm really excited. Excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible knowledge with me, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Zane. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate?
1: Great. Thank you for
0: having me on the show. Excited to have a good conversation. Mate, absolute pleasure. But tell me, $780 million straight out the gate. Like, that's an incredible valuation. Uh, we we're talking in the green room. You're you're a couple of years younger than me. How did that all go down?
1: <laughs> you know, it always sounds like an overnight success when you read a headline uh, that outrageous um, but it was failure after failure. I mean, it was just so hard to convince someone for my first company that we were worth a million dollars, let alone in the end, someone buying us all cash for almost a billion, right? $780 million. Wow. Um, So yeah, I would say decade of uh, trying, trying, trying. And eventually with everything working out perfectly, we also got lucky. Things just don't have to work out perfectly in terms of, you know, uh, execution and getting the right team and all of that, you also have to be lucky
0: um, to be in the right place at the right time. It's 100%. that level of exit, I think. Right. no, no, And I want to get into that, but let's let's do what we do on every show. Let's rewind the clock. Tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid and you're growing up in a relationship to money uh, in your youth.
1: You know, I grew up in
0: uh, an area of
1: London, Hayes and Harlington, and it's not the best area. My parents were actually immigrants, refugees, who fled East Africa. We were Indians, or they were Indians, right? East Indian, uh, it settled in Africa, and then were booted out of Africa by Idi Amin, this dictator. They came to the UK with no money whatsoever. And where I grew up, it was quite a rough neighborhood. And to avoid getting in trouble, I just stayed in my room and played computer games all day long. And one day when I discovered the internet, I just started hacking around and building things, and I realized, wow, this is how you build a website in HTML. And eventually, you can take these templates. Oh, and you can hire someone if you have some money in India for like three hundred bucks a month. Hmm. Let me think. Why don't I convince someone that they need a website? So I started out by going to all these uh, online platforms and trying to bid, you know, on projects, and I made a bit of money like that. But the real money, and I joke here when I say real money, we're talking hundreds of pounds, right, or, or dollars. I started calling up everyone I could find in the yellow pages. At about thirteen, my voice started to break. It probably didn't sound better than it does now, so people didn't really know they were speaking to a, a little kid, barely a teenager. I'd call them up and I'd say, "Look, you guys don't have a website. How are people going to find you? I can get one made for you. Um, would love to, you know, communicate." Most of the deals fell apart because they wanted to meet physically face-to-face. I did not want that to happen because then they'd be like, what the hell? This is a, this is a little kid. But that's how I made my money. I convinced a couple of people that they needed a website. You know, it could have just been something like a, a bed and breakfast hotel or a restaurant or a massage place or whatever it could be. So that's how I made my first uh, few dollars. And then I got tired of building websites for other people. Do you know the math I said where you can hire someone for 300 bucks? Well, you hire them full-time in India, they can churn out like a website a day. So my thought was, how about I get their salary covered by selling one or two websites a month? The rest of the time, let's ideate, let's build websites for myself. So I started to make money through ads. And that was my first, I felt like real entrepreneurial dollar because building websites was like a development shop. It was like a service. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted to move away from your time is traded for money. And move into the game where money comes even whilst you sleep. So that was my like money comes whilst you sleep. I built websites, put ads on them, and I'd wake up in the morning, check my dashboard, and I made fifty dollars, or a hundred dollars, or two hundred fifty dollars, or a thousand. Sometimes it was just you know magnificent.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. I, how was the relationship being with mum and dad? Being immigrants, you know, I've I've had other people on the show who had come from immigrant families, you know, particularly. Um, from from india who want they want their sons to go off and become a doctor or an engineer or you know something else that is not you know on computers and what the hell is this thing you're making money by building websites like what what, what how did that how did that conversation go down
1: exactly like you said it but
0: with an indian accent
1: <laughs> they didn't understand where is this money coming from can you stop like what are you doing drugs what's going on and, and can you just finish your homework and they pretty much um, took the computer away from me many times, which really upset me because it's like I'm not playing games now. I'm I'm trying to make money, and they'd be like, "No, you're on the computer too much." They would literally take the power cable away, and it was really, really annoying for me. I was really angry about that. But you know, I was just addicted to the computer. Uh, as far as they could see, but it's true as well. I was addicted, but I was also addicted to the idea of making money. Right, right. right. I, I've always felt like for me, a lot of. Uh, Business ventures feel a bit like a video game because I just grew up playing so many video games and strategy games. Fast forward, um, my parents, I would say, forced me to go to university. I didn't want to go. I had to give up a startup that I was working on, relinquish control, let the other founders sort of run with it, and they had raised some money in Silicon Valley. So I was really distraught when they moved to Silicon Valley and here I was going to college uh, or university in London. And... um, you know, my identity was sort of like really struggling. But even at university, I I couldn't stop. I My first few nights at university, I, I you know, I, I kind of went crazy, right? Because for me, a lot of Indian people, they're sheltered. They're brought up maybe in a religious or very conservative manner. So when you go to university, you're like, whoa, what is this freedom? This is crazy. So I really went kind of crazy. And we had a, sort of a house party in my kitchen and security came and we're like, You're not allowed to have parties in the student dorms. So I was like, all right, I've got like 40, 50 people here. Oh, maybe I can take them to a nightclub and I can get paid to do that. And so I started setting up a nightclub promotion business. Then I set up a student newspaper. And then I just kept doing these little lifestyle businesses. I just couldn't stop. It was just in, you know. I built some organizations whilst I was at um, more nonprofit organizations when I was at university. But yeah, you know, I, I always felt um and, and this is sort of the theme even to this day after selling my last company. Once you're a founder, you always feel like one and I'm I'm itching to do another company like every day. You
0: know? <laughs> well, it's funny, I'm actually reading Richard Brant's book, I think his old one, Virginity. I think it's that one, his biography. A- Reg- virginity
1: or something like yeah, that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he um he actually because yeah. he start, he started a newspaper back in the day at his university, and he also started a nonprofit about helping other people in the community access. Uh, doctors, um, particularly LGBTQ people, and it's it, 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 it's quite you've got very similar upbringings. probably just a couple of decades apart. Um, but but let's let's go on to talk about how you're coming to America's story and, and how you got such a big exit because you, you mentioned earlier you know it's the overnight success that's been going for ten years. So what what did that look like? And and, and were you in the UK um, with uh, Vungal? Was it was that, am I pronouncing that correctly? Before moving to the US
1: yeah that's right so i'd started the company there and it was really just a video production agency really that's all it was we would build videos for you and we figured out let's do software training videos we it was a lifestyle business right and i wanted to build a platform and i had read that there are these crazy investors in the us who don't care about revenue And I was like, oh, I need that because everyone in the UK is just beating me up about your revenue and profitability. And when you achieve all the metrics that they want you to achieve, you just don't need their
0: money anymore, right? (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. Why why, why do I need your equity if I can raise it myself or, or I can go have my own equity? But yeah, keep going.
1: Exactly. So I read about an
0: incubator, Y Combinator, and then there was another incubator called AngelPad.
1: And so I'm like, all right. This is interesting, they they give a hundred thousand dollars to every single participant in the program. That that sounds insane, a hundred thousand dollars, right? And it's it's for like a tiny percentage of your company. I mean, immediately at the gate, you're valued at millions of dollars, right? Of course, we know today some YC companies are valued at insane amounts, but you know. um, So I um, figure out how do I get into this incubator? And I'm reading TechCrunch and they say, look, there's only one spot left, applications are closing. And the incubator has decided to leave one spot open to get last minute applications in. Me and my co were like, man, we got to get into that incubator. So we did some research and we discovered that there was um, a few people that were like judges who would review applications. And there were also LPs in the incubator as well, right? So they mm-hmm. had stake in the incubator. One of these guys is an Indian guy, right? His name is Gokul Rajaram. And he at that time, uh, wildly successful guy uh, bought to, started you know built the Google Adsense algorithms and and the product at Google built a company Facebook acquired it for like 50 million dollars in pre-iPO stock so he's working at Facebook now helping Facebook figure out the number one problem how do we monetize right so I'm like all right, I gotta get this guy's attention so here's what we do me and my co-founder record a video on our phones and we're pitching Google. and the video goes like this. Hey, look, I've got your attention. If you know Gokul, forward this message to him. Gokul, if you're listening, this is Zane and Jack. We're from the UK. We want to crush Facebook. We want to destroy Google, right? We're, we're building like our own advertising platform. Um, And we're going to take Mark Zuckerberg down. Just crazy stuff like that, we said, okay? Then we figured out, right? We built this video and we're nuts to do this, right? Because he works at Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. Then we, we we take this video and we figure out how do we promote this like in a viral way? And we figured out how to hack around LinkedIn. We figured out that we could target every single colleague who he's worked at, at Facebook, at Google. We figured out crazy stuff. Like, you know, we pretend we're advertising a flower website. And when LinkedIn approves it, we quickly change the image and the URL forwarding. So it shows up with his face. So you're browsing, (laughs) LinkedIn, you see this guy's face. You're like, I know him. I I work with him. Well, why is he on LinkedIn? It's like, the title of the ad literally said urgent message for Goku, click now people were like oh my god what's happened to him has he been kidnapped by the isis or taliban or whatever <laughs> and they would click on that with insane click-through rates and there, there i am on, on video hey i got your attention you know we want to crush facebook please like help us get into this incubator that video went viral um he got summoned to mark zuckerberg's office apparently and i uh, was like what the hell is this video about destroying facebook what are you involved with um so that got his attention we got a call from the incubator and we were like yes it's worked and they were like look we're going to send you a cease and desist literally <laughs> take that ad down right now and we we're like look we're not going to take the ad down like we we want the last spot you know you've got to give us a chance and they we're like sorry but Most of our people are engineers. They went to Ivy League universities. They live in the US. And I'm like, I don't care. Like we we need this. This is like, this is what we need. We need some Americans to take a chance on us. And so after harassing them and pestering them, they said, okay, you know, fine, jump on the next plane to the US. And that was history. I I just booked the next flight to the US, told my family I may never be back, which turned out to be true. And we, we arrived in San Francisco, and um, here I am over a decade later, you know, with a big exit behind me. But that incubator was very helpful for us.
0: <laughs> That's insane. That's awesome. Well, it goes to show the value of persistence, right? And doing something different. But it's interesting you got that wall of, oh, you're not American. You don't tick this box. You didn't go to Ivy League. You know, sorry, yeah. you're, you're out. Like, uh, as, a, as a, you know, another expat, when I remember when I first tried to get my structural engineering job, and it was just like my my resume. Just I didn't have a an American university on it. And it was just like going knocking on doors until someone give you a chance. And it was a lot of no's because of that exact same thing. It's Like you didn't go to a you know a school here in the states. I don't know what your qualifications are. So I, I definitely can uh, can assimilate to that. But the but talk about the fa- the fa- you know the creation of this company that ultimately went on to be sold. To Blackstone. So, how did did you take down Facebook? Because clearly, if you didn't, because Facebook's still around today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Facebook became our number one competitor. You know, here's a little anecdote, right? Uh, Especially as we talked about my parents. We ended up raising money from Google, right? Google Ventures. And there was a time when I'd applied to Google and I was rejected. I had applied to McKinsey because that's what people do when they go to these good universities in the UK, and I was also rejected. And I cried when I was rejected because I was like. This was like my springboard, like McKinsey was my golden ticket out. And I remember just sitting there during the credit crunch. So you know, we're in like another recession at that point, right? And then thinking to myself, you know what, screw this one day. I'm gonna compete with Google or I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like work with them in a meaningful way. And McKinsey, like, man, I'm gonna be so successful. One day I'm gonna hire them. Who would think years later that like, you know, Google would invest in us would become a major competitor? We did have acquisition discussions with them, right? And then McKinsey did the due diligence for Blackstone. You know? <laughs> and it's like, wow, how, how the thoughts that you have today get projected into the universe and they materialize in some form or another. Mm. But I, you know, what turned out to at that point to me was a really low point. Actually turned out to be a great thing. Thank God I didn't get a job at I moved job and I was forced to figure it out. And I think being in the deep end, learning how to sink or swim is really sometimes the recipe to just be creative and and innovate. When we got to the US, for example, we realized if we don't raise enough money, we're going back home, right? I'm going to raise as much money as I can so I can afford to have an attorney to get a visa um and i'm just gonna figure it out and you know we worked harder than everyone else all of our other colleagues we, we had a few people that were just amazing in our class and they also built billion dollar companies you know there were like 20 companies or something like that a few of those went on to become huge companies as well maybe two or three of those founders did well but most of those folks were like google engineers who knew like there's one guy in my class right who um on in the incubator who uh went on to become like one of the early employees that um uh, WhatsApp, right? And he did really well. So, like, you know, folks like that—they don't have to work mm. as hard because they just know I've got the golden ticket. I'm American. I went to Google. I went to Stanford. I went to Harvard. I'm going to get an amazing salary. Whereas us, we were like, man, I'm going to go back to UK. I'm to look like a failure. I, 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 I got to do this. Like, i would right. die if I must.
0: I'm going to figure it out.
1: When you're that hungry, success just somehow comes.
0: I. I will also agree with that because the the, the thought of going home with a tail between your legs as a again, as an expat. I, I've that's crossed my mind a lot of times. But I moved to this country just to be just to chase a girl and just to live for a couple of years in an expat and have some fun and go home. I, I never thought, you know, a decade later, probably the same with you is you know, starting a real estate company and doing all this stuff. But it's that it's that drive where your your back's against the wall that, you know, What's my sixty-five-year-old self going to say in my failure yeah. of of what do I give this a good crack or not? So yeah. I can completely obviously we're different. You're at a much bigger scale than I am, but but to talk to just a little bit on the on the product itself and 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 how how the how did you pitch your heart out to 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 raise the money and afford the lawyer and get the visa and all that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, the way we did it was that um, we kept pivoting and pivoting. We had a deadline, which was demo days coming up. It's now 12 weeks have turned into three weeks left. And we just don't know what we're doing at this point. We can't afford to build anything. We don't even have an engineer, actually. We've been like outsourcing this and we're getting screwed by the dev shops we're working with. We found some engineer. We're like, hey, we'll give you the title of CTO. Um, He eventually went on to become like the founder of uh, Webflow and, you know, did really, really well. Right. That's another unicorn company. Uh, But he he stayed with us for a little bit. And... um, I went to customers and I was trying to interview them and I was trying to figure out what do we build. And then I said to them, look, you say this is a big problem for you. You're, you're trying to promote your app, right? If I could get you, say, 1,000 users, how much would you pay me for that? We'll pay, you 2, 000, uh, we'll pay you 2 bucks, right? Okay, cool. 2 two bucks a download? All right. Can you write that down on a piece of paper? If I build this product and I get you 2,000, right? Or, or I get you however many users, right? You pay me 2 bucks. You will pay me, right? Can we turn this into a pre-order? I basically went, found a bunch of companies that needed help with user acquisition and came up with a bunch of pre-orders. And these pre-orders eventually just got more and more bold. I'm like, hey, theoretically, if I put <laughs> you a user for a dollar and I got you a hundred thousand, would you pay me a dollar? They're like, sure. All right. I got a hundred thousand dollar pre-order. Then I went to investors. I was like, look, I've got millions of dollars worth of pre-orders here. Okay. I can build this platform and I think I can deliver the goods to these, you know, customers. So what we did, we we basically <laughs> had a bunch exactly. of supporters and VCs couldn't argue with us. And our round was like insanely oversubscribed. We were just trying to raise like a few hundred thousand and that turned into like 750K to one point. It was a pre-seed idea, right? Eventually mm-hmm. we ended up raising $2 million on the pitch deck. And that was one of the largest seed rounds in, you know, this was 2010, 2011. So you can imagine, right? Like at that point, I was like, whoa, we did it. <laughs> right? But then the hard work really begins. Then it's like, oh my god, what did I? What, I, I damn, I, uh, I sort of, I hope the I mean, investors don't think this is recognized revenue. These are bookings, and I don't know if I can deliver this. And for a whole year, we struggled, man. Like it's like, oh my god, we, we. I hope our investors don't saw us. <laughs> you know, they're like, where's your revenue? You said you had millions of dollars in pre-orders, and I'm like, well, the product doesn't quite work, and it doesn't. The economics don't quite work yet, but. You know, year zero was $0 in revenue. Year one, 850 k Year two, $15 million. Year wow. three, $56 million. Right? And we just kept like doubling and tripling until it was hundreds of millions of dollars. And at one point, it was $100 million plus EBITDA run rate. EBITDA, like, you know, our cash
0: balance was growing. That's um, insane. So, yeah, it was, I mean, it's
1: been a wild ride for sure.
0: <laughs> but my question is, and if those listeners didn't hear that, you didn't actually have the product figured out yet. No, no, not at all. So you went and got – you pitched just really well an idea that you thought may work. And, and got, a problem. I to, and a problem too. And a problem. A problem sure, yeah. a problem. But yeah. you didn't have a solution to it. Like as, a, as an engineer – I'm a structural engineer. I'd, I'm like I need the solution because that's the ticket, right? You talk about golden tickets all the time in this episode. So what was – what, how did you, what the, was that confidence that you knew you got to f- figure it out? Like, what well, was it? It was, like, the belief was that
1: we were putting a video advertising platform and we thought that the current way people promote their applications are advertising on banner ads
0: mm-hmm.
1: and banner ads are not effective. And full screen ads are just atrocious. We thought, why don't we build this like video advertising format where we show people what the app does before they download it? It was a series of pivots. We started up as a video production agency. We pivoted all the way to being some platform where you know we distribute videos and we create videos that showcase your app. And if we do that for you, will you pay us? But I don't want like a five ten thousand dollar agency like fee. I just want you to pay me each time someone watches a video and downloads your app. And so it it was a big bet right we had no idea where, but it just it just felt internally like look this feels like it should work like if someone sees a video of an app and they click on the ad why are they clicking if the video is accurate then they're probably clicking because they want to download the app it's a lot better than these banners where your fat thumb accidentally you know presses download and who would have thought like we were spot on with that no in the end we were charging 20 30 dollars a download sometimes wow. maybe one or two dollars that's why our revenue grew like crazy we we figured out this secret source, but definitely there were most of the time when i was building the product i was like this is going to fail you know maybe we can deliver users for a dollar but we're going to be making huge losses like uber and we're going to run out of money i didn't think we'd be getting like 50 percent gross margins and would be increasing the pricing continually you know So yeah, frankly, I had no idea it would work. I just had an instinct that it would work. Yeah, it's like building a spaceship, you know? Like, sure you're gonna get off the ground, you can build all these models and simulators, but when reality is out there and people are using your product, you know, does it hit? And damn, this one hit
0: right on the bullseye. For those of you who are interested in staying up to date with all the latest happenings in my business, or to learn more about passively investing directly into my multifamily value-add deals, then head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter. By signing up, you'll automatically be notified about my new up-and-coming investment opportunities. You'll be able to stay up to date with all the latest real estate news here in the United States, and much, much more. So head over to reedgoosens.com and sign up today. Now, back into the show. And so I'm I'm a company cruising around. I'm a user cruising around, and I'm just you know, I'm not a, I'm not a tech guy. I'm a real I build stuff, but there's a platform that I could trial an app or look at an app that I needed for my company or needed for my personal use that I could go to and sort of get a free drive, so to speak. That that's essentially what it was.
1: Yeah, essentially. I mean, rather than advertising on um, YouTube, advertising in newspapers, and running TV ads, the idea was: what if we can advertise on other people's phones? What if we can show your game mm-hmm. while someone else is playing another app? You're playing like got it. You're yeah. playing like Candy Crush Saga, mm-hmm. and you, know, you see an ad, and it's for your app. That's mm-hmm. what we built. We invented mm-hmm. that. And that, now, that is now seen by billions of people, you know, well over a billion devices a month is what the company was hitting. Um, wow. Most people in the world had seen our ad, even though we didn't have a logo plaster on it, right? We'd be powering that. Hundreds and hundreds of like, you know, millions of dollars in revenue every year just from that.
0: That Just for that one idea that you thought- yeah, one idea. That that on, an, on this game, there needs to be yeah. other sort of revenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah got That's it. That's right. What if you can put an ad in the game in a way that is- smooth
1: we've also figured out you know you're playing a game and you die game's over Mm -hmm. so app developers started to charge you like why don't you buy a life for five dollars 99 cents we were like aha what about why not watch a video ad and you get to continue playing where you died and it turns out a small percentage of people that watch a video ad are like that game looks fun you know what, let me click and download. I'll play that game later. And then they play that game and they're addicted to that game. And cha-ching, we got paid. <laughs> so, you know, we did a lot of uh, that. That's sort of how we figured it out. We were like, how do we take these videos, show it to people and they'll pay us for it? We've got to like redesign the whole user experience on the product side to do that
0: on the game side. That's that's freaking awesome, dude. I I, I love your user interface yeah. intelligence, I think it must be. Because, you you know, not the, the average person doesn't just go along and be like... You, yeah. When you explain it as simple as that, you, everyone on this, listening to the show be like, oh, yeah, duh. That's, yeah, of course. Yeah, but back yeah. in 2010 and 2011, no one got it. No one got it. Yeah, yeah. But back I can in
1: 2010, fully... man, I'm pitching VCs and they're like, wait, apps like the farting apps and the flashlight <laughs> apps? <laughs> and wait, you want to deliver videos? Videos don't even work on a mobile phone and like, the, you know, we're dealing with 2G bandwidth here. Uh, how is this ever going to work? Mm. If you're trying to charge per download. Why don't you just charge per view like everyone else? Just show a video ad and charge two or three cents. And I was like, no, no, no. I already promised all these developers that, you know, I'm going to give them a user for a dollar. I'm going to take the risk on. And that, the time worked out. Like the trends were in our favor and we innovated on the product side and, you know, we got a huge cash cow.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Zane, I want to pivot because everyone will be asking, well, this is investing in the US, Reid. You're a real estate guy. So how the hell is Zane on this show talking about apps and stuff like that? So I read in the introduction you have started your own family office, which is focused on tech startups but also real estate. So what was, what was uh-huh. that pivot to this? You've gone from Guy in England doing a viral YouTube video to take down Mark Zuckerberg to starting this crazy gaming app now having a huge exit. And when was that exit? 2019,
1: right? Cash came in 2019. The exit was probably in 2018 or some, something like that, you know,
0: when the definitive agreement was finally done. Um, and, and now into pivoting into yeah, a diversified portfolio, of both tech exactly. and real estate. So talk to us about that. Why did you decide to go into the real estate realm as maybe an anchor to your, tech's, to your tech investing?
1: Yeah, so look, running this gaming advertising platform, um, meant that my entire net worth was concentrated in one single startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was wild because some days we really did think, you know, it's going to be huge. And other days we thought we were going to go bankrupt and we were going to be sued for whatever you could think of out there, you know, data privacy valuations, like Apple or Google are going to come in and crush you or Facebook's going to crush you. Um, and so I remember when I was running Bungle, I was seeing other people in real estate and I'm like, wait, for years I didn't take a salary and these guys. They're getting like these rent incomes, the assets are appreciating, they're using leverage, they're doing 1031 exchanges, which is a great thing that the U.S. offers. They're getting depreciation write-offs. I want a piece of this. I I mean, these guys aren't that smart, frankly. I mean, (laughs) now, more than half the people in real estate are dumb idiots, and that's why it's so easy to make so much money because... You know, there are a lot of stupid people out there, and there's a lot of dishonesty out there too, on all aspects. Not just not just investors, but you know, contractors and property managers, and and everyone in the chain. It's just like I've never seen so many incompetent people before in an industry as I have in real estate. Right? I know that's a harsh, extreme statement, but the fact is,
0: yeah, yeah there
1: are a the lot. Of, there are a lot of stupid things out there, and you know, you got to make sure you don't be taken for a ride. But at the same time, if you try hard enough, you can find opportunity. Anyway, the bottom line: I wanted a piece of that, and I looked at real estate, and I thought, okay, I, I want to figure this out. And um, when you look at wealth, real estate's a big part of people's portfolios. Um, it's minted more millionaires than any other asset class, and self-made millionaires too, may I say? So it's like I want to learn this game. It's so different than startups. It's brick and mortar. It's physical. So yeah, that's why I started getting interested in real estate and dived into it. You know, as my only focus.
0: That's your only focus today, right now?
1: No, that, that, uh, real estate and investing in technology companies that target the real estate sector. Because I, you know, I can't just go in and try to compete with folks that are pure real estate. I have to come with something unique, which is my tech background. Yep. Yep. you know, I'll look at real estate projects and I'll think, how do we bring technology in? How do we bring some amenities that are powered by tech? How do we automate things? And, and that's sort of why I, you know, I've been doing what I've been doing. And uh, to give you a bit of background, when I started in real estate, I didn't really know what I was doing, started off as an LP in numerous funds, and then you know, becoming the largest, you know, uh, investor in many syndications and taking like you know GP carry. Then I started to buy single family rentals, then I started to do hard money lending, then I started to buy multi-family buildings, hundreds and hundreds of units, all cash. Uh, and then I teamed up with a larger firm and that firm, Bluefield, you know, has been great. We, we own, you know, well over 10,000 units across multifamily, hotels, senior care facilities, industrial warehouses. I
0: mean, so yeah, the whole gamut of real estate in the US. That's awesome. And your, why was the partnership needed with with this other company? Just so, yeah. to give you a bit of the operational mouse?
1: Yeah, to learn, but also I did not want to be a passive investor. I wanted to learn, but also I thought I could do it all myself. Here I am, a founder who you know built something when people told me it wasn't possible. I thought I could do the same in real estate. Got my butt handed to me, man. I mean, when I looked at my returns versus the returns of the syndications and and um, the funds I invested in, I was like, I don't get it. I, I'm not paying... I'm paying them a carry. I'm paying them management fees, acquisition fees, all these hidden layers of fees, and yet the net return to me is way higher than anything I'm doing myself. I don't get it. I'm I'm putting in the sweat equity. I'm spending all my time doing these rehabs and and you know fixing up properties, and yet just passively investing as an LP, I'm making more. I need to learn the secret, So I joined up with Bluefield because they had the best returns out of everyone I had invested with. And I said, look, I wanna wanna seat at the table. I wanna be a GP with you guys and um, I'll put in a significant amount of money, right? And I'll become a major investor in all your projects. Um, Teach me everything I can learn. And then that's what I did.
0: That's awesome. Talk to us about the Bluefield today. What you said, you mentioned um, multifamily, you said hotels. What else are you invested in, uh, warehousing? yeah industrial warehouses we've actually
1: built some warehouses um um we're talking millions and millions of square feet here as well so you know potentially billions of dollars worth of value that we've been building um and then we've also been doing some construction Mm -hmm. these are like your gun style townhomes that have a garage and they're in areas of the us that people might not necessarily pay attention to um, we're sort of operating at a sub-PE level, so acquisition sizes that are like $10 million to like $80 million, or
0: mm-hmm.
1: more focused around, you know, like $40 to $60 million acquisitions, which is basically a little bit too small for large institutional players, but a little bit too big for mom and pop folks who have just been, you know, doing their own thing. Um, and then in in relation to that too, I set up a venture capital fund because you know, I like startups, and we've got a great portfolio of real estate, so it's fun to bring startups in and partner with them, and we'll invest in startups at the seed stage. We've done 20 investments now in startups. I'm on the board of a few companies too, um, and that's a way for me to live vicariously because
0: I missed the founder lifestyle, you know? <laughs> but I think you've got such so much more to offer going through that exit, um, now coming full circle. And it's interesting you say, you know, it sounded like you had a bit of a shiny object syndrome. You're like, what are all these guys doing? Yeah. like, you hearing yeah. your story, so many people would be like, oh, I want to do what he did. You know, I want to go take on the Mark Zuckerbergs of I want to go get like a, a billion dollar exit. Like, it's it's funny how the grasses will always be greener somewhere else. And so, my question, my last question to you before we wrap up the show is, how have you, as a founder, as you know, you, you mentioned earlier about you thought you could do it all? How have you let go of that sort of stuff to? Just be. I know where my value is, and and just be okay at that level. Not just continuing to push and push and push and for you know into the future. I
1: really struggled when I ran my own startup because I was a control freak and I micromanaged everything, and I had a really hard time letting go and building a team. And you know, we had hundreds of employees eventually, and I just had to realize, like, look, I am I'm the wrong CEO for this job if I'm the one who's basically doing you know everything. I need the company to survive without me. And so I had to build an executive team. And I quickly learned at certain levels, you need to start delegating and outsourcing, right? And it depends. Like there are some things where you need to be really hands-on, but if you want to build something that scales, you need to partner. And then if you're going to do something small, you probably have to be more hands-on, but don't be foolish and think you can do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. If you're building a new company, go find some co-founders because it will allow you to focus on your superpower, I really believe everyone has a superpower. It might be marketing, sales. It might be finance, legal, whatever it is, right? Engineering, development, design. Find your superpower and outsource everything else, okay? And bring in other people that complement your weaknesses and you'll have a killer team. Everything is about team. In real estate and startups, this is something I can generalize with. Like finding a team, building a team around you is something that works in every asset class and it's it's the true strength of a, a leader,
0: it's awesome. No, mate, look, I, I could chat to you for hours, my friend. I'll have to fly up to the Bay Area and, and take you out for a drink. But I do want to be respectful of your time. Just quickly, before we get into the lightning round, what, what do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Now, now you you know, the last 10 years have been freaking awesome. And I always say to people, when I moved here in 2012, I didn't have a lot of money to my name, didn't have a job, and I was coming here to chase a girl. 10 years later, you know, I've got 3,000 units, you know, I'm you know, building it from scratch. What, 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 do you, what is your next 10 years going to look like? It's not retirement. I tried
1: that for a bit, and um, it gets kind of boring, and you get restless. Um, I think I'll be running another company because that's in my DNA and that's my true strength. Um, investing has been fun, and is fun, but I see. Right, I'm I'm looking at a couple of potential startup ideas right now, actually. And um because the market's so horrendous, I'm actually quite excited because I am quite contrarian, you know, I like to do things that others don't do. I feel like this is the best time in the world uh ever to launch a company. So I'm ideating right now. I haven't jumped into it yet, but if I do something, I'm taking a 20-30 year outlook. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the next thing I do. Of course, if 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 I build it and um, you know, an exit opportunity comes, I have to consider that rationally. But the great companies are built um over a long time span and you know today it was announced um as of this podcast like when we're talking right adobe just bought figma figma was founded in 2012 i believe and 10 years later 20 billion dollar exit right you have got to take a 10 year plus outlook when you're building a company because year five six seven eight if you're growing fast your revenue sometimes every um, quarter is more than the cumulative revenue of your entire history. So why tap out early? So I'm thinking, I'm looking for that type of company that I think I could run, could become the next Amazon or Google. Right? Wow. That's what I'm thinking about if I do something next.
0: That's awesome. In 10 years, I do see
1: myself uh, being at the helm of another company. For now, I'm investing, but also ideating because investing sort of helps you. A lot of founders, um, I think the stats were like a third of founders that have um, you know exited a company. Go on to invest as an angel, or start their own VC fund. Yep. Another fair probably retire, and another fair probably <laughs> do another company. You know. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a tiny percentage that are just
0: dead because it was too much. <laughs> I was <laughs> almost <laughs> in that category. <laughs> well, mate, look at the end of every show. I like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it, mate. What's the daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Uh, daily habit, I would say, is I uh, read a book um, before I go to
1: sleep. Because if I'm staring at my phone, before I go to sleep, it affects my sleep. And reading a book is a really good way to sort of, you know, quiet your brain. And I read very fast, um, sort of speed read. So that allows me to get through volumes of books quite quickly. I think I did 100 books
0: last year. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Question number two is who's, who's been the most influential person in your career to date?
1: Most influential person, Um, it really, uh, there's a lot of people, it's really hard to pinpoint one, but I'd say that guy I told you about earlier in the show, the Indian guy, right? Mm -hmm. There was a point where everyone was telling us just to pivot, this is an awful idea. And he sat down with us and he said, look, guys, I'm at Facebook. Obviously, I'm privy to some things in the advertising space, but I I think you're onto something here. I can't say anything more because, you know, I don't want a conflict of interest with what we do at Facebook. But you probably would be, it's probably a good idea to build this. It's not the first time I've heard of this idea, actually. I was like, oh, maybe Facebook's (laughs) going to buy us if we we do this. No, he he gave me that hope um, to follow, right? Put it in Facebook on the side. He really said to me, if you believe in it, screw everyone else. Because you're going to hate yourself working on something someone told you to build. You're too stubborn, and most founders are do something you enjoy. And if people are like puking on your idea, it's probably a good idea. That's, if someone telling you the idea is good, you should be worried.
0: That's awesome. Mate, that's a, that's a big badge of honor getting that 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 nod from, from him back in the day. I think you would have been grinning from ear to ear leaving that meeting, I could imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, question number three is, in your business, there's, you know, is a tool that you use every day that you can't run the business without it could be a physical tool like a, a journal or a phone or a computer or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without what is it
1: oh wow that's a great one um when i was running uh so on the vc side um i found that um you're just bombarded with a lot of emails right and scheduling is a really big headache. So Calendly for me was really powerful, but I set up automated workflows. What that basically means is that when someone sets up a meeting with me, they get an automated email that says, hi, thank you for booking a book the meeting. This is what I do. This is what we invest in, right? These are our criteria. And then a few days before the meeting, like I'm excited about the meeting. Can you please make sure you've sent me your pitch deck? Can you please make sure you fill this and this in that in? And then after the meeting, it's sort of like, look, here's sort of what next steps look like. And a lot of founders were like, wow, this is the most informative thing ever. And I can't believe you put the time to write that. And I'm like, obviously I did it. And I just did it once and then I automated it, right? But I must have spoken to a thousand founders since I've been running this VC fund. And I've looked at hundreds of startups, hundreds of startups, right? Um, so those emails being automated have been like amazing. I Scheduling has been such a headache that I like...
0: I think Calendly is fantastic to handle that. The automated workflows, especially. Uh, definitely. Calendly is something that I think another tech company that was pretty smart when it came around. Again, I'm not a tech guy, but I use it in every single day of my life. Uh, question number four has been What's been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure?
1: oh um i would say when it came to real estate specifically as an indian person i'm a bargain hunter (laughs) i got obsessed with metrics like cap rate or price per square foot or whatever and i really should have focused more on look the, the numbers need to just work on the back of a napkin. You don't need all these models to convince you it's good. And the location is probably the most important thing. And I didn't realize the importance of good location. Um, you can buy a building for dirt cheap, but sometimes, man, you buy a building and then you spend more than, the bu- than you bought the building for just on renovations. It, and here, here's the hardest thing that took me a while to understand. You put $2 bucks into a building in some rural area, right? That two million bucks could do the exact same thing in a much better location. You're adding a lot more value now, right? If you bought something in an Austin, Houston, or, or you know, a top tier city, right? Two million bucks there is much better than two million bucks in like rural Louisiana or whatever. And I've made mistakes like that for sure. Where I kind of wish I should have just paid up for a better property. Cause then when I do the rehab, the rents are going to be way higher. I just got too focused on getting a
0: bargain for the sake of getting a bargain. Yep. I no, love it, love it, mate. Look, last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They'll be in your sphere. Where do they go? Yeah, um,
1: Zane at ProptechVC.com. ProptechVC.com is sort of my uh, website, newsletter, um, personal, my thought leadership articles on there, and I've got a podcast as well.
0: Awesome. Awesome, my friend. Look, I wanna thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I just want to reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. I think your underlying um, never say die attitude as a as a true expat, you know, coming from very humble beginnings, to be honest. Um, you know, a son of a of immigrants and then coming to the US with that 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 never give up attitude. You know, you're gonna do everything you can to get people's attention and to really rock the boat. And I think that has put you in such an incredible um, position today uh, to, to, to to now you know really uh, what's the word like? harness what you've built in so many different ways. And what I mean by that is that you've been able to see opportunities that the average person would be able to see. Like if you're playing a game back in 2011, who the hell would have thought to put a freaking ad on the yeah. bottom of that whilst you're playing the game to, you know, the, you'll die. Hey, I'll, I'll, if you just watch this ad, you know, you'll get another life. Like I'm not a gamer, but even I know that's a freaking brilliant idea. You know, like I, I could see that, you know, with, with, with looking back on time, but then as you, what I did find quite interesting in this conversation is that the the, the grass is always greener. You, you want to get into real estate. You wanted to have a, a physical element of an under underpinning your foundation, your investment portfolio. So it wasn't just with all these very high octane type of tech investments that may or may not be there tomorrow because you know how hard it is to build one. So with all that being said, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Did I leave anything out there?
1: Yeah, this was a
0: great final. I think you did a great job with the summary. Awesome, brother. Well, look, thank you so much and we'll chat very, very soon. Thank you. Well, there you have another cracking episode, Jam Packed with them. Some incredible advice from Zane. If you do want to check him out, please head over to Zane at PropTechVC.com. He's got a lot of stuff going on over there. And just to get in his space, listen to his podcast, download everything that he is doing. If you do like this show, you can give it a five-star review on iTunes. I want to thank you all for taking the time out of your day to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And we're going to do this all again next week. Remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.